If you do not have one, will you raise your hand? If you still need one of those sheets of paper, I think we got a few over here. My regular exercise right now is swimming and walking and occasionally golf. I say occasionally golf because some people say, well, that's not really exercise. And it's, it's not aerobic, but it still is some exercise. At least that's what I tell my wife. But before I swam, I used to run a lot. And I, I hated it in the beginning. I actually, it was an injury that started me running. Interestingly, I was injured and I joined the Y and I was doing just some swimming. And I met some people in the Y. I was working out and take, started taking some classes and they were runners. I started running with them. And I remember they'd talk about the distances they ran and it sounded very intimidating to me. And uh, just started running a couple miles, and then three, then four, and then doing some uh, 10Ks, like six miles. And then this, it, this group, I really got kind of attached to it. And uh, some of us were training for half marathons, and I did several of those. Some in the group were doing full marathons. What I remember, I, I love the, the, the so-called runner's high, the, the feeling of running and being out there. But in a race, I never knew, I, or I knew that I was never going to, like, finish first. That wasn't my goal. My goal was just to finish, especially these longer races. And there is the, the joy that you get when you train for something for some time and then you actually enter the race and then you cross that finish line. It's just, it's just amazing. In fact, here are some, some pictures. Um, these are people at the Brooklyn Half Marathon crossing the finish line. You can see the joy that's there in them. And here's a picture of runners that are crossing the finish line at the, at the Boston Marathon. I think they're happy. I don't know how they have energy still to jump after 26.2. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. It's a long race. And today from God's Word, we're going to learn what it takes to make it to the finish line. That's what the passage that we're going to look at. So I invite you to Hebrews chapter 12, just verses, mainly verses 1 and 2, although we will uh, mention verse 3. Verse 3 is a transitional verse between this passage and the one that comes next week. But let's read Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through 3, as we look at God's Word this morning. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, 
He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of God. The context of this passage, if we take a bigger view of it, perseverance has been a major theme in Hebrews. And now, as we come to chapter 12, the author is not only encouraging the readers to persevere, which he has done at several spots already, but now we're also learning how that happens. These verses show us how it can happen. And in this passage, there, there's really only one command. There, in, in the English translations, there are several commands, but in the original language the New Testament was written in Greek, there's one command, and here it is. It's finish the race God has given you. I have it highlighted there in blue at the end of verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That is the one command in this passage, run your race. God has given you a race if you're a Christian. He's given you something to do. He's given you a life of faith to fulfill for him. Run it. That's the one thing that we're called to do here. Run the race. Now, let's walk through these verses to uh, show how all of these words fit together and what they mean for us. Therefore, that opens it links this with chapter 11. Chapter 11 was a, the story of so many people of faith, you know, Moses and Abraham, David, Samson, over and over and over, people of, of faith that, that showed God was faithful and God was trustworthy. And, and, and that little phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, kept coming back in chapter 11. And now after talking about that for 40 verses, he says, therefore, in light of the fact that people have demonstrated that you can live the life of faith, that you can persevere to the end, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and cloud was just an ancient figurative way of talking about a host of people. So we're surrounded by this host of people. We're called, the original readers, we're called to persevere. And we who are followers of Jesus today, by extension, are also called to persevere in our faith. Now notice the last few words of the verse, the race that is marked out for us. God sets our paths. We don't set our own. There's a race that's marked out for us, and God sets it. Now, in the English translations, there are two commands here in verse 1, right? Let us throw off everything that hinders. That's the first one. And then let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. I'll explain in a couple of minutes how these two work together and why I say there's, there's only one command 
It's not an error in the Bible. It's just a different way of looking at it that uh, I hope you'll see this morning. But first of all, let's note that perseverance is really critical in the Christian life and throughout the book of Hebrews. So, for instance, in 3.14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Perseverance defines what a Christian is. A true believer holds firmly their faith to the end. 6.12, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. 10.23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 10.36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. 1039, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And then here in chapter 12, verse 1, we have it again. Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In this verse, we see an interesting image. The Christian life is compared to a race. Not that you're racing anybody else. It's not like you're trying to compare yourself with another Christian, how they're running, right? Because it's, it's the race marked out for us. The main thing is that you finish your race. And I saw that many times in these running groups that a lot of people, they didn't, I mean, I guess there was a small percentage who really, really cared how they finished compared to others. But basically, people are trying to run their best. In fact, they, there's a phrase, uh, my personal best, right? People work towards that. So God marks it out. It's individual for us. And this is what we're trying to do. This is the image that the the author of Hebrews gives us of the Christian life. It is like a race. Now, the verse starts with this cloud of witnesses. I remember growing up, I heard this explained almost like a huge football stadium that all the people of faith in the past who had already lived were sitting in the stadium and they were now watching us run our race. I really don't think that's what is happening here. I don't think that's the point. We don't know exactly what people in heaven now know. The Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about it. We know more about what heaven will be like in the end when everybody's there. But what did these people in chapter 11 witness to? They witnessed to the fact that through God or through faith in God, you can do exploits. They also witnessed to the fact that through faith in God, you can endure suffering. So in other words, this great cloud of witnesses that we have, I don't think are people that are watching us, but they're people that we can watch. <laughs> We can look at their lives. We can read their stories in the Bible. And we can say, yes, God is faithful. Yes, God will get us through 
God will help me persevere. God will help me be victorious in this situation. Those are the witnesses that we have from Hebrews chapter 11. So how can you finish your spiritual race? Well, there are two ways that I want us to focus. Remember, the one main emphasis of the passage is finish your race well. Run it with perseverance. How do you do it? Well, the passage gives us a couple of ways. And the first one is, I would say, intentionally strip off every weight and sin. Since we're surrounded by these witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. Now, this word throwing off means to rid yourself of something. (laughs) It's like a runner who might get rid of some unnecessary weight or extra clothes so he or she could run the fastest. If you go to these races, you notice runners don't wear a lot of clothes (laughs) because those things weigh them down, right? In fact, in the first century, runners in the Olympic Games would arrive to, to the race wearing these long, colorful, flowing robes. And then right before the race would start, they would drop the robes and lying all around would be these robes and they would have little or even no clothes on. I'm glad God's not calling us to do that. But notice what's being thrown off here. Everything that hinders. That comes from a word in the original language that we would translate weight. In fact, some translations do bring it out that way. Lay aside every weight. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. So just like a runner is making sure that he or she doesn't have any extra weight for our Christian life of perseverance, we got to make sure there's not extra weight out there on us. Some things might be permissible. They may not be sin necessarily, but they might be a weight. They might weigh us down. They, They might harm us. So, Think about with me, what are things in your life that can weigh you down spiritually? What are things that can hinder you from running the race that God's called you to do? Take a minute or so just to turn to one or two people around you and talk about some of that. We're not looking for sins necessarily, but just what are some weights that might hinder you in your spiritual walk. Go ahead and talk about that for a minute.
All right, if you'll wrap up those times there. I'm sure you had a lot of great answers. Uh, maybe you got some of these. Um, we talked about this in our community group uh, Friday night, and we got some good answers. Uh, these were some of them, but then there are others that I've added. Uh, examples of weights might be what other people think about us. Watching TV or movies. Playing video games. Hobbies that consume time, energy, and attention or too much time, energy, or attention. Your job, the passion to advance in your career, and in the process, sacrificing eternal values. Maybe it's a group of friends, busyness, bitterness, unforgiveness, heartbreak, disappointments. There are a lot of things that can weigh us down, and I'm sure you thought of others. Jesus himself told his disciples in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. And that bleeds us into the second thing that's to be laid aside, and it's the sin that so easily entangles. There's a very interesting adjective describing this sin. You almost would read it literally, the holding on tightly and causing entanglement sin. Sin can entangle us. Sin can get a tight grip. Now, we're not sure if there's one sin in mind that the writer's talking about when he says the sin. Is this one specific sin being talked about it, or is it, is it wide open? If there is a specific sin in mind, I would suggest that it might be persistent unbelief, lack of faith. That has been uh, marshaled all throughout the book, the importance of faith. And so, Maybe it refers to, to the, that sin that this epistle has warned about over and over and over again. That's possible. But I also think it's likely that this refers to any sin, any sin that can entangle you. I've been reading the Old Testament again in my personal time, and I'm up to the book of Joshua now, and the one thing that has struck me in this time of reading through is that God takes sin very seriously. God cannot be trifled with. You read the Old Testament, and there's some hard stuff to read in there. There's a lot of emphasis on God as a holy God. He's not... I don't think the God of the Bible is anything like what our culture thinks of when they hear the word God. They tend to think, oh, as long as you don't, you know, go murder a bunch of people or do something that you'll be okay, that if there's a God, he's not really watching or caring. That's not the God of the Bible. So what hinders you spiritually? What is the weight 
that weighs you down? What is the sin that hinders you? Christian, today's the day to, to, to cast it off. Today is the day that some of you might get victory over something that's been weighing you down for a long, long time. Hopefully, as you see what God says about it, you will get there. If it's pride, if it's gossip, if it's lust, if it's pornography, if it's dissension, if it's selfishness, whatever it is, lay it aside. Now, I want to put up, I've got the translation of the NIV. I want to put the BIV up. That's the Barber International Version. Based on the original text, I would translate it like this, very similarly, but it's therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, by throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance. It's not wrong to translate that let, throwing off as, as a, as a, a direct command. There are times, it's a participle form, there are times when participles do give direct commands, but those are rare in Greek. Many modern translations have chosen to do that, but I think participles help support verbs, right? So it's, here's the one command, run, run the race. And there are multiple ways we, we're going to see in this text that help, help us run that race. And the first one is throwing off every weight and every sin that does entangle you. So the structure of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 would look like this. One command, let us run with perseverance the race. And now here are the participles that support it. Because we are surrounded by these witnesses. That tells us why. And then by throwing off everything that hinders and so forth. And then we'll get to in verse 2 in a minute by depending on Jesus for strength. All of these ways help us run that race. The first one tells us why, because we're surrounded by these witnesses. That's the way the argument is proceeding here. The second one can tell us either when or how. Sometimes these phrases are uh, translated like after you have thrown off everything that hinders, and that would be the, the answering the when question. But this also probably answers the how question. It's part of answering how we do it. We do it by throwing off everything that hinders. And then again, in a minute, we're going to see the other how, and that's by depending on Jesus for strength. So I, I want to illustrate this. So I need two people to help me. One I've already talked to, and that, that's Peter Hall. So Peter, will you come up here? I need anybody else who's got a phone uh, with a timer on it. Somebody close by got a phone with a timer on it? Okay. All right. If you'll come here. This guy's a runner. Okay? And we've talked about a little path that he's going to run. He's going to run one little lap around us and see how fast that he can do it. So when I say go, if you'll start the timer, and then when he gets back and touches my hand, 
you stop the timer, okay? And let's, 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 see, let's see how y'all stretched out and everything, not going to pull any muscles or don't want any injuries, don't want any uh, workers' compensation claims or suits against the church or anything. You, you sign this and say, you're okay, okay, he's, he's okay. All right, all right, ready? On your mark, get set, go. Oh, he took a wrong turn. That's all right. That's all right. That's fine. <laughs> you, you cut it a little short. You were supposed to go, but that, that's okay. That, that's all right. All right. How many seconds did we have there? Ten? Yeah. How many of you think you can do that in 10.73? Anybody else think they can do it? Uh, a, a few, maybe. All right. Well, you don't have any extra things with you, right? I think you should have some things. I think you should have some things. You know, as you're going on this race, you might get cold. Would you put this jacket on there, please? Oh, what a perfect fit. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know what, like, you might want to stop and read or have anything. So can you put this backpack on here? Let me help you with this backpack there. You got it? You know, actually, Stan, there's, there's two more books there. Will you hand? I forgot to put those in here. I, I, I want to make sure he's well-equipped. This runner is, is well-equipped to read. Right, New Testament theology, and both of them on New Testament theology. I think that might be good for him. All right. And just in case you're tired and need to, to, to sit down here, here's a chair if you'll just kind of put that over, over you. Yeah. All right. And uh, maybe in case it takes you a little bit longer than you thought, there, there, we also have a, a suitcase um, so you can either carry this or roll it. You're going to carry it? Okay. All right. He's going to carry it. All right. So let's, let's give him. Now take the same exact route. On your mark, get set, go. He's still moving pretty good. Get that clock going fast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's give him a hand. Uh, you can take it. Up. 16 seconds. You still did a great job. <laughs> you can put it there. You know, you can sit down. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, let's. <laughs> Peter was a little bit harder with that weight, with those weights, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is what people think about you. And some people are just determined that they're going to walk around all the time and have that on. Everywhere they go, they're, they're just going to make sure what people think about them is not going to go far away. 
And maybe it's just the anxieties of life, the cares of life, trying to get ahead. They're, they're always going to carry this with them. And you think, what? No, no runner would do that, right? For a runner to win the race, they're going to get rid of all that stuff, right? That's what God is calling us to do in Hebrews. Lay those things aside. Throw those, throw every weight. Again, it doesn't have to be a sin. And this is challenging to me for us to think, are there things in our lives that may not be sin, but could just be weight that we need to, we need to lay aside? And in addition to that, sins to lay aside for sure. Well, you can see the structure. Run with perseverance the race. Why? Because we're surrounded. How? One way is by throwing off everything that hinders, and the other way is by depending on Jesus for strength. And that leads us into verse 2 and 3. And it gives us, for our outline, the second way that you can finish well constantly depend on Jesus for strength to endure. The text says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The only way possible to find strength all the way through is not to depend on yourself. It is to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. It is to give him your attention. It is to put your focus on him. Jesus is the perfect model of someone who laid aside weight. He didn't have sin. He endured incredible circumstances in order to accomplish God's will. His example shows us how it can be done. But more than just showing us, here's, here's, a, here's an interesting thing, and this takes it to another level. All of the examples in chapter 11 show us that it can be done. They show us that God is faithful. They show us that God honors faith. And Jesus' example also shows us that. But there's more to it with Jesus. He is not only an example that inspires us, but he can help us. He can offer us strength. When we say to him, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this by myself. I have to look to you. I am choosing to look to you. I am choosing to depend on you. So it's like a negative and a positive. The negative is by throwing aside these things and then positively by looking at him and continuing to look at him. Why? Because he's the pioneer or the author and perfecter of our faith. He started it. He initiated it. And he perfects us. In other words, his entire work of coming to this earth, living, dying on the cross, being buried, rising again, that 
perfected it. Redemption was accomplished. The spiritual transaction we call redemption, in which we are bought away from the or bought back from the clutches of sin and the penalty of sin and the payment that sin demands, Jesus did that for us. He is the perfecter of faith. Focusing on Jesus is an important theme in Hebrews 2.9 says, but we see Jesus. 3.1 says, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And so the passage continues, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured. He was faced with painful circumstances. Some of you might think, oh, my life is hard. Or, oh, this thing that I'm going through right now is hard. And all of us, if we live long enough, are going to go through hard things. But none of us are going to go through something as hard as what Jesus went through. He lived in heaven as God. He existed co-equal to God the Father. And yet he chose to lay aside his heavenly privileges, Philippians 2 talks about, to come and live on earth and become a man. And not only a human being, limited like all human beings in certain aspects, but a servant, and then to not only be a servant, but to die on a cross, and not just any death, but death on a cross. Crucifixion was the most shameful way of public humiliation and execution in the first century Rome. It was a scorn. It was a shame. And this text says that he scorned the scorn. <laughs> The word means to disregard something, to, to, to not take account of it, essentially. So in other words, it was a scornful thing. It was a shameful thing going to the cross and being crucified. The very one who gave all these people life was being crucified by them. It was shameful, and yet he scorned it. He said, I'm not going to account for that. I'm going to go through it. Why? It says, for the joy set before him. What was the joy set before Jesus? What kept Jesus going? I think, I think it has to be two things that are related. One is perfectly accomplishing the will of his father. He always wanted to please his father. So, the fact that knowing that by doing this, he the plan, the eternal plan in the council of the Godhead that had been formed from all eternity now was going to be executed. And the joy of accomplishing that and, and hearing the Father say, well done, I, I think that is part of it. But so closely related to it, is the fruit that was going to come out of the cross. The salvation of men and women. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus didn't die to be a good example. He died because you and I were separated from God because of our sin and because of our wrong. 
And wrong has to be paid for. When somebody does something wrong, it has to be paid for. So our sin before God separated us from him, and Jesus knew that the way that we were going to be brought back to God would be he would become the sacrifice for us, the substitute for us. And so even though it was shameful, he was able to scorn that shame because he knew what it was going to produce, believers in him. And it didn't stop there. Notice what the text says. What did he do after that? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't sit down because he he was tired. He sat down because his work was finished. The cross finished the work. And this is a picture of the royalty, the, the most majestic place, the right hand of God the Father. Now, let me comment briefly on verse 3 because it, it does flow right out of this with the word for. It's not appears in the NIV, but for consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Make a careful ass- assessment today of Jesus and what he did so that you won't lose heart. Are you tempted to lose heart today? Are you tempted to give up today? Are you tempted to give in today? Consider Jesus. Consider what he went through for you. Consider what he did to accomplish the will of God. Donald Guthrie says a corrective for the tendency to lose heart is, quote, an ever-deepening attention to the glorious object of Christian faith. Jesus himself. So here's how, again, the passage works. One command, let us run with perseverance the race that's set before us. Why? Because we're surrounded by these witnesses that testify to the faithfulness of God. How? By throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us and also by depending on Jesus for strength. That's what it means to look to him. Look to him. Depend on him. So here's God's word for us this morning. Thinking about everything that we've covered in this passage. To make it to the finish line spiritually, we have to get rid of the wrong things and look to the right person. To make it to the finish line spiritually, we have to get rid of the wrong things and look to the right person. Let me ask you some questions. First question, have you looked to Jesus for salvation? Are you depending on him for salvation or just being good or being a part of a church. Second question, what, way, what weighs you down spiritually? And related to that, is it worth it? Third question is, how does fixing our eyes on Jesus find expression in your life? This is really something I want you to take home with you and think about this week. I want you to answer it, what it really looks like in your life or could look like in your life. What a beautiful linking 
of human and divine responsibility in this passage, right? The Christian life is a race, and God's not going to run it for you. You are going to have to run. You are going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to take steps. You're going to have to be determined. You're going to have to get rid of this extra weight. If you want to succeed, part of it depends on you. But as that human effort is being expended, there's a source of strength and empowerment that we have. We have someone who is there for us. We have someone who has gone before us. We have someone who has originated faith and perfected faith and is not only an example out there, but for Christians, he's a living Savior in here. So he will help us. Well, by 7 p.m. on October 20th, 1968, at the Mexico City Olympics, the stadium was getting dark. It was the race had been over for at least an hour. An hour earlier, uh, an Ethiopian runner had won the Olympic marathon, and now an hour later. As people, other runners had trickled in, the stands were starting to empty. But they heard, as they were exiting, police sirens and whistles at the gate, at the entrance where the runners came back into the stadium. And they looked over there, and there was the last man to finish the marathon. John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania. He had fallen early in the race and badly hurt himself. He was bruised and bloody. And all he could do as he came into that stadium was limp around the track. And the few fans that were left cheered him on as this injured runner just limped his way to cross the finish line. And after the race, somebody asked him a question that probably many people were wondering. Why didn't you just quit? You were hurt. You were injured. Why did you continue? And he said humbly but gently, my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me to finish it. And you know, God didn't save you to start something. <laughs> he saved you, if you're a Christian by faith, to finish it, to persevere, to finish, to cross that line. And here's God's word. To make it to the finish line spiritually, we have to get rid of the wrong things and look to the right person.